You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, Florida State basketball f- fans. Uh, welcome back to to a, a long-awaited episode. I, I don't know. I think twenty-seven, maybe, uh, of, of the Tomahawk Nation Hoops Dedicated Podcast. I'm Matt Minnick, uh, joined as always by Michael Rogner. Uh, although this this time, actually, not to give too much away, but we we are also part of this podcast. We are going to be joined by our first former uh, player, David Nichols, uh, joined join the podcast. Really interesting uh, interview. That, that's gonna, so you, you'll definitely want to um, either, either stick around for it or fast forward to it. Um, but had, a, had about 20 or 30 minutes with David and just talked a lot, a lot about uh, some cool subjects, you know, uh, ranging from he kind of got in the X and O's of Hamilton's offense and like the new offense that we've switched to and as well as um, – playing with Devin Vassell, but Michael, I didn't know that he, he played with Pat Williams either. Yeah. That, I guess he stuck around to get his degree. So good for him. You know, he got, he, he's, they often complain about grad transfers aren't really there to, to go to school. And then he, he stuck around and picked up his, his graduate degree and, and, and got to play with, uh, well, with last year's team, um, quite a bit. So he had to, it, some good things to say about that. It was, it was, it was fun to, it's fun to hear. Well, and if if y'all have been uh, debating yourselves, I, I know you've heard Michael and I a few times wonder, well, which team maybe could, which team at full strength was better, the 2019 team that won 29 games and went to the Sweet 16, um, or the 2020 team that you know finished in the top five in the country but didn't get a chance to to see its uh, its season end the way they would have wanted to in the tournament. 
uh, and he had a, he had an interesting response. I mean, I'm going to make you listen to the interview there, but I thought he had a pretty interesting take on that and not one that I think we've said before. So that was, you know, for a guy who's played with those players, that was, that was a um, interesting answer for sure. Um, but what, so it's been two months, Michael, I, how, how have you been? I'm, I'm hanging in there. I've been catching up on some, some old, old basketball games, you know, watching, uh, I think I think I think I, I found some, I dug up some 2012 games and those were those were a little more painful to watch than I really remember for such a good team. Uh, and I've <laughs> you watched, mean, and I've mean because of the uh, the perhaps the not this free flowing offense that we've had the last few years? <laughs> yeah, a lot of 30 second possessions that kind of end with a pass to the cheerleaders or something, but they could defend so. Yeah, uh, then I've I've been watching some some more modern games too, and and those are a little more fun. I've probably watched the FSU Louisville game from this year. Uh, I should say the second FSU Louisville game from this year, the one with the you know uh, posterization of Jordan Wara. Uh, I've probably watched that three or four times. Uh, I'll say this, and I know you really, I know Michael that I think you only get like three channels. I feel like you get uh, basketball. archives basketball and like x and o's basketball are the three channels you get but if if you haven't watched the show billions or folks out there that that's a pretty good one wife and i started binging that and uh, if if you're into the whole like i don't know uh political gamesmanship between a u.s attorney and a a hedge fund investor that likes to uh skirt the rules it's a pretty good show my wife my wife and i are watching cheers it's like the, the old ah, 80s. Yeah, show. no, I've, yeah, I've seen, I've seen Cheers. <laughs> good, good, wholesome family fun. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there has been some basketball news as well in the last few months. One of them I'm interested uh, to hear your take on. Uh, you, so the state of Florida, I, I know you, you live in California. The state of California uh, passed a law about the uh, play – NCAA players being able to uh, profit off their name, image, or likeness, although it doesn't go into effect for a few years. Uh, the state of Florida very recently just kind of jumped California in the process and actually starting the summer of 2021 uh, will be allowing uh, players to profit from their name, image, or likeness. Thoughts on that, Michael? Yeah, this is well, one, I, I I won't be surprised to see more states jump in and probably leap, leapfrog Florida. You know, once once this thing starts steamrolling, everybody's going to want to be on on the front edge of this thing. Frankly, it is is long overdue, in my opinion, uh, to to treat the basketball players the same as you treat every other student at the school. You know, if if I if I'm if I'm in at Florida State and I'm on scholarship and I write an app and sell it, you know, I get to keep all that money. But basketball players, you know, football players, they, they don't get to do that. They're generating millions of dollars. And the, the, the only way you, – you, you really set me up for this, Matt, to kind of start this whole new podcast off with a little bit of a rant. But the, the, the only way that you can possibly look at big-time college football or big-time college basketball – and think that it's an amateur sport as if you just dug a hole in your backyard and, and stuck your head in it. If you, if you look at the national title game, you know, you've got all the advertising, you've got these massive TV, t- TV deals, all the coaches are making, uh, you know, Ham makes two and a half million dollars and, and, and he's like, you know, the 50th highest paid coach or something like that. It's just, it's crazy the amount of money. 
And then you've got these, these folks who I, you know, I get that they're having sort of a visceral emotional response to, to the thought of their favorite sport being more professional than they'd like to think it is. And they're, you know, they're, they're responding on message boards that that, that does it. They're never going to watch college sports again. You know, if, if that's your, if that's your take, then, then, you know, farewell. And then I, it, you're going to be missing some, some great, uh, uh, action because nothing's, nothing's going to change. You're just going to, you're just going to see players be influencers. You're going to see players on billboards. You're going to, you know, but the, but the actual sport is not changing at all. It's just going to be going from everything happening, um, in the back rooms to everything being a little bit more upfront and legal. So I think it's a, it's a great change for college sports and, and, and it's long overdue. And if you, if you're really interested in amateur sports, then, you know, go watch like a high school swimming contest or something. And, 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 uh, the, the thought of that still being the, the case at, at this high level is just, you know, kind of, kind of naive. I can't, I can't say that I, I disagree too much there. Um, I, I feel like the, the only thing that would really change is perhaps uh, the accountants and, and folks doing taxes that are going to get a bit more work because now a lot of this money uh, that athletes are already being paid is, is just going to, is just going to be taxable income as opposed to under the table. I, I can tell you, so I, uh, I don't know if I, you know, how much of this has been talked about on the podcast or not, but I ran, I ran track at NC state. Uh, I, I still, I, I root for NC state track probably over Florida state. I, I think as y'all could gather by now, I root for Florida state uh, hoops and football over anything else being born and raised in Tallahassee. But um, you know, the first time I really encountered this was a friend of mine at uh, in college who good looking girl. And she was, asked about modeling. Uh, she was on the volleyball team and, and asked about modeling. And, and it, it came down to the fact that there was some questions on the NC State compliance department of whether or not, um, was this a modeling contract that, you know, she would have been able to get if she didn't have uh, some exposure as an athlete, if people didn't see her already, uh, you know, doing um, college athletics, or, you know, could she have just gotten this on her own? And, and it, we had a pretty, um, we had a pretty conservative compliance department at NC state, at least when I was there. Uh, and that does not mean basketball players didn't drive around in car, uh, cars they couldn't afford. And that does not mean that uh, athletes weren't wearing clothes. I mean, I, we all knew where to shop or where to be able to get uh, turn in our receipts to get discounted stuff or whatnot. But at least the compliance department was fairly conservative when you actually brought things to them. You, you sort of were punished if you told them about something. You weren't punished if you didn't say anything. Um, and she wasn't allowed to do it. And, and that was kind of the first time I was like, well, wait a minute. If you weren't playing volleyball, you could go model and make money. But because you're playing volleyball at NC State, you cannot model and make money. But all the other students can model and make money if they were given that opportunity. And now your point about an app, or somebody writing a screenplay, or someone you know who sing is an actor or whatever. Like anyone can do these things. You can get a job, except if you play a sport. In which case, now you can't have that you know income. And so I, it's never really made sense to me. I also don't get the fears that all of a sudden folks are going to start paying five hundred thousand dollars. Like boosters are just going to be rolling up with five hundred grand or something. I, I don't know. That 
business people don't operate that way. You can't really rely on a 17 year old or 18 year old kid to do things. I think what you hit the nail on the head there with the influencers, you're just going to see folks on social media. If you follow Devin Vassell on Instagram, he got, he received a huge shipment from body armor and he posted that on his Instagram. Well, he can do that now because he's no longer worried about his FSU eligibility, uh, body armor, the drink, if you're not familiar, you're just going to see athletes. You're going to see a college athlete do that, be able to just have, you know, influence something like that on Instagram. Don't, don't you think that's the direction it goes? Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably going to be the most, most, uh, uh, you know, you know, likely source of income for these guys. There's, Look, looking at it strictly from a basketball perspective, I think we're also at the same time we're seeing, um, you know, this movement away from the one and done nonsense that we've been dealing with for so long. You know, a lot of a lot of the top guys are finding alternative ways to get into the pros without going through college. So if you if you kind of filter out those super elite top players, and we assume that in the next few years they're going to be able to go. Uh, either directly to the NBA or they're going to be able to go play in one of the minor leagues and actually get paid a a significant um, income. You know, those are the guys that cause most of the trouble when it comes to illicit recruiting. Um, You know, they're the ones getting six figure checks and, and, and having their, having their family get these uh, fancy cars and, you know, whatever. And so I think a, a, a lot of the alarm over that, that stuff just getting ramped up in sort of a legal fashion is a little overblown when it comes to basketball because, you know, some of the most marketable guys aren't even going to be playing college basketball you know, in, in the next few years. So I, 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 you know, for, for Florida state and for Florida state fans, the interesting part is, you know, how does Florida state get out ahead of this thing? You know, how, how does Florida state put in the staff, to, uh, you know, help deal with, you know, help players deal with this kind of thing, you know, how much support is there and, 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 you know, you just got to hope that that Florida State's sort of on the front end of that curve. And, you know, based on, you know, what we know about Ham and how he runs a very professional, uh, uh, professional, uh, you know, run team, he runs it like a professional team. You know, I, I, I kind of think that, you know, he's probably put a lot more thought into this stuff than we have. And, and, you know, we'll have a good system in place to assist uh, the players that are coming into the program. Yeah, I think, I think you're right about that. I, I remember sitting every year in hour to two hour long compliance meetings and, and, you know, they just get all the athletes in at one time and, and have speakers come in and talk about, you know, the rights and the wrongs and, and it didn't just cover uh, taking cash. I mean, you know, it covers, uh, performance enhancing drugs and things like that too. But I I imagine that they are going to, you know, those things happen. I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, like you said, Hamilton runs a very well-run professional organization. And so I I imagine they already are in those types of meetings and, and, you know, the message or the lessons that are being shared can be modified to talk about, you know, how to not be taken advantage of if someone's trying to use your uh, name, image, or likeness, and, and really, really impart some lessons that quite honestly uh, jive with everything that he tries to teach these young men that he's developing anyways. Um, so I, I do think it, he, he to your point, I, I do think that Florida State, you know, will be on the forefront, especially since they're in a state that already is having to think about this with the latest law. You bring up the 
the what the new G League. Uh, it's it's really more like a like a fellowship. It's not even that these guys are going to go and play in the G. Like they're not on a normal team. They're getting training. They're getting coaching. They're getting life lessons, financial planning. Um, it's 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 like part, it's like as if you were going to grad school or something, and you were going to participate in a one year fellowship before being hired into your field. Um, I kind of like it, to be honest. I I have long wondered why we are forcing someone to attend college if it like the whole point of going to college is to prepare you for your career. And and someone uh, like, let's say, a Zion Williamson, probably like to prepare him for his career, you know, go ahead and start getting professional coaching and playing in a professional setting and learning those lessons. I know you can make the other argument, though, that attending a school like Duke really enhanced his uh, marketability and his brand and put him on a national spotlight. So uh, do you do you uh, have any thoughts on that G League, um, you know, thing that's starting? I'm not sure exactly what they're calling it. Yeah, that last point you made about Duke enhancing his brand, I think it absolutely did. But, you know, if these if these guys are going to be professional basketball players, those are the decisions you have to make. Those are, those are the same decisions we all have to make in our professional lives. You know, uh, we, you know, do we want to switch jobs? Do we want to you know move to another city? What, whatever. And you know, so it's it's good. They're just making it at a younger age. They're making these decisions at eighteen, and and hope, hopefully getting good advice as a as a college basketball fan, I would love to see Patrick Williams come and play for four years. I would love to see Zion play for four years, but it's just, it's just not the world that we live in. And if, if they have the ability, if somebody wants to pay them, you know, half a million dollars or a million dollars to do nothing but train for a year, then, then good for them, you know, go out and, and, get paid what you're worth. And I would give that same advice to, to everybody I talk to who's not an athlete. You know, it's, it's, it's just how the world works. Go, go get, go get what you are worth. If you were an English major at FSU and and you had written a book that a publisher wanted to spot you a half million dollars to, to publish and put out, you know, as, as a book, I I mean, you, you would do that, right? I feel like. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's, that's the, that's the whole point you're there. You know, that's the whole point you do what, do what you love. You know, these, these guys are, are playing a sport that they love to play and they happen to be really, really good at it. And so getting, getting paid is sort of the ultimate, you know, end goal, um, you know, of, 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 of any of their, of their careers. And obviously they want to win and they want to, you know, have rings and all that stuff. But, you know, you're doing this to make a living. I do what I do to make a living. You do what you do to make a living. You know, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we do not podcast to make a living. Uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe someone will say that, uh, we are worth half a million dollars. So, uh, if we can, we can, I'll start, I'll sell out to do that. Uh, Michael, sorry. The phone lines are open. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a natural bridge here between, so we're talking about recruit Pat Williams, guys like that. Is there, do you think, is Florida State with what? What is happening with Florida State recruiting? Are are there guys that maybe we've been in on that uh, this might impact? I know. I know. For example, so we've already signed Scotty Barnes and Sadar Calhoun. Both those guys are committed coming in, and they are sticking. I mean, they're excited to be Seminoles. We also signed a guy, uh, Quincy Ballard. Uh, I think since the last time we talked, classic seven foot project, uh, athletic. You know, 
classic Hamilton big man project, Pro- probably not going to see much of the floor next year. Um, and, and in games at least, or certainly ACC games and, you know, but, but could, you know, we've seen that him and, you know, Ham and Stan Jones know how to develop big men into serviceable players. Um, it, a guy like Musa Sise, who, who we are in for his final six and, uh, you know, hoping that maybe we, we're holding out a scholarship for him. Is he the type of player that we would be concerned? Maybe he's going to start going to the G League. Absolutely. I mean, it's it, it it seemed like he was ready to commit to LSU. You know, a week ago or so, and, and then, um, you know, they they get announced that they're uh, you know probably uh, have done some bad things that the FBI took notice of. You mean that and... Will Wade telling people <laughs> on uh, wire tapes that he will pay money to have come, do what it takes and put up the big bucks is is uh, that's frowned upon, Michael? It, it it happens. You know, I mean. Yeah. I, I say things all the time, you know, uh, the F- FBI is not listening to me though. Um, but yeah, some, somebody like Cissé could, could, you could, you could see him either way next year we're recruiting, you know, Michael Foster, Jabari Smith, Matthew Cleveland, all those guys, you know, you, you could kind of see them making that decision to, to go on, I guess, you know, back when, you could draft high school players directly, you know, out of high school, you know, there, there were a certain subset that you just, you, you kind of knew about. Um, and with, with this uh, system, it's, it's, it's unclear how big is it going to get? Is it going to be, you know, five players a year? Is it going to be 25 players a year? We don't, we don't, we don't really yeah. know. They've announced, I think right now they want like up to 12 or something is what they said, but, but mm-hmm. not all of them get a half a million. I think that's key. There's sort of like, the Zion of the world or Jonathan Kaminga might get half a million, but others of them seem to only be getting 100 or 200. It seems to be like a sliding scale based on, I guess, projected talent. Right. Yeah. And if, if, but those things are all, everything's negotiable. We could go from 12, we could go from 12 guys to 50 guys and, and nobody would bat an eye. That's true. That's true. Um, well, okay. So let's, let me ask you this then. Um, let's, assume that the players that we recruiting are not getting into there just for now, maybe a poor assumption, particularly if we're talking about um, someone that's in the top five level, but you brought up, uh, well, so we know we have Bryce McGowan's already committed. And if you follow him on social media, he is, he is heavily invested in Florida state already fully, fully bought in. Um, and, and is, is already, you know, ready. I, I, frankly, I think he wishes he could be a Seminole this year. And, and I wish he could be a Seminole coming up this year. He's a big, long guard that can fill it up for all over the court. And I hate you know, I'm not trying to put a guy down, but he's like a better version of his brother. Um, so we got him committed. And then Naheem McLeod, uh, is, is committed, but take going over to what I think TCC or he's at a Juco for a year and mm-hmm. then going to come to Florida state. So who are some other names that Florida State is, is heavy? You mentioned Matthew Cleveland. Is that a guy that, you know, Florida State fans should be watching out for? Absolutely. And I just love his game. He's one of, he's one of these guys who's kind of built to come play at Florida State. Uh, you, 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 you know, if, if, you, if you want to kind of see who Florida State's recruiting and you're going into like a 10th grade game, just just look for the really tall, super skinny guy, and you know, with long arms. And that's, yeah, look that's for kinda, Devin Vassell, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And Matthew Cleveland kind of fit that category, and and then he blew up and and bulked up, and and you know, turned into a a big time 
prospect out of Atlanta, which is, you know, just the total sweet spot for, for Florida state recruiting, you know, any, anywhere in that, anywhere between Tallahassee and Atlanta, you know, Florida state is going to be on you if you can play. And so Matthew Cleveland is somebody that Florida state fans should be paying very close attention to. Uh, it, it, I don't know that he's going to end up at Florida State, but it's it's definitely going to be weighing heavily on his mind um, to, to to come be a Seminole, you know. And then if you just look at the at the top hundred list for next year, I mean, Florida State's all over it. It's it it could be a year where you see all the work that was done with John Isaac and Dwayne Bacon and, and Pat Williams and Devin Vassell. That that the twenty twenty one class kind of could be that class where where everything really comes together and a lot of players who are seeing Florida state as a, as a legit path to the league, um, you know, all sort of come together to, to, to play together. Obviously there's, there's a long way to go for that class, but, but it's, it is certainly looking good for a a bunch of, of top, uh, you know, blue chip recruits. You, you are right on that. And, and I tell you, you know, when I've uh, either read, read some, uh, you know, whether it's articles by other sites or our, our own, um, you know, Josh, Josh Pick uh, for Tomahawk Nation has been really talking to, a, I mean, he, he's kind of a recruiting guru and, and talks with a lot of these folks. He did a great interview with, with Bryce and Bryce's dad, actually. Um, it's, I've been, what you said about Jonathan Isaac, I think is really important. You know, a lot of people talk about, well, it, was, it would have been great if, if Isaac could have stayed more than one year. I mean, yeah, we, we won 20, what, six games, I think, and got back to the NCAA tournament. But I think Isaac's, a guy like Terrence Mann or Trent Forrest's legacy is that they developed as a player. They were the ultimate Seminole warrior. And, and, and I mean, Trent Forrest left FSU, I think, is the all-time winningest player in school history. So that, that's his legacy, right? A guy like Jonathan Isaac, uh, Dwayne Bacon, you mentioned, and, and actually uh, Devin, too, it's, it's interesting from an opposite standpoint. Isaac has had made it seem – like when you talk to recruits, Isaac was a well-known USA basketball, one-and-done, surefire lottery pick that made it cool for a guy like that to come to Florida State. And, and the fact that he's also likable and genuine – He's been a great ambassador, uh, I think, when Florida State has been recruiting some of these modern basketball bigs who, you know, can guard multiple positions and, and also step out and hit the three. On the other end of the spectrum, you have a guy like Devin Vassell, who was not highly rated coming out of high school, chose between like FSU and Stetson in North Florida, and, and has, was groomed into being what's, what's Frank, we'll talk about this maybe later in the pod, a lottery pick, and and that is also showing evidence of the kind of uh, the the de- player development that Florida State as a program puts, you know, the attention it gives to players. If you are a three-star or, or even a mid-four-star that goes to Duke, you, you may not even get to play basketball. Coach K has a short roster. I mean, he short lineup, not short in heights, but he plays seven or eight guys. They play heavy minutes. You know, he, fo- he focuses uh, the – the the type of ball that they're playing around those star players and and that's great those star players go to the league you're not getting developed if if you are are a a mid mid four star kind of guy or or in Devin's case a a mid low three star so really Florida State has this unique pitch to sell where they've proven they can do one and dones and they've also proven they can uh, player develop 
and it's kind of all coming together. I, I would have loved to have seen a Final Four run this past year to really, really maybe put that the brand over the top. But do, do you get the sense that that Florida State is now operating kind of at a new level with recruiting? Yeah, I would agree with you that that Isaac sort of branded FSU. You know, now now there is a uh, you know FSU is a known known quantity you got you got five guys who can initiate the break um you know sometimes four but but whatever uh you've got a bunch of big guards uh you you you, as ham likes to say you you defend uh you play hard and you play unselfishly it that that is going to eliminate um a a few of the top prospects every year because some of them just want to go and and be the star and and you don't get to do that at florida state you're going to come in and and you know you're going to get subbed out for the the eleventh or twelfth guy on the bench, and that's just, that's just the way it works. Uh, so I'm 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 happy that uh, you know when we talk about who, who's going to replace Ham, I want it to be somebody who has a very recognizable uh, you know gig going on, and and Ham for sure, certain has that, and it's it's paying off in recruiting right now. Uh, you know, and and we'll see if he's able to to kind of close the deal on you know two or three more top players over the next couple of classes. Uh, you know, with that system. Yeah, I, I'm going to go on record right now and say that I I think I don't have a crystal ball or, or a, a a lot whatever the you know the two four seven uh, pick, but if I did, I, I'm going to say I think Matthew Cleveland does end up at Florida State. I think it may, us Georgia Tech and Louisville seem to be maybe I know Michigan's in there too, but I, it really seems right now maybe between Florida State and Louisville and and hey we know that Ham owns uh, Chris Mack, so why go to Louisville when you can come to Tallahassee? Uh, I, I think Matthew Cleveland joins Bryce McGowan's to to form the nucleus of a, of a formidable, um, versatile, long team. Uh, and you, you've got seven footers like Ballard and, and Naheem already uh, going to be on the roster. Uh, and, and I would say, watch out for another guy. Speaking of, of the Atlanta area, there's a guy, I think James White, who seems to be following the debit kind of was of the Devin Vassell mold where no one really know, knew about him. Florida state's been in on him for a while. He's now blowing up and getting offers from all over the sec and, and Georgia tech. Um, I, th- I think he's just blowing up slightly earlier than maybe uh, when Devin Vassell did, at, you know, in high school. But similar guy, six five, six six, long, can shoot from distance, high IQ guy. I-, I would, I would put his name on your radar as well. H- have you uh, seen any of his highlights, Michael? I have, and and I agree with you. And I, the, another name that I would add um, would be Chance Moore, also from, you know, the yeah. Atlanta area. Yeah, you know, he's shooting he's, guard. Yeah, and he's 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 visited Florida State, which is big. Um, it wasn't an official visit, but it was it was he's been here unofficially, and and you know in the time of COVID, when you're not a lot, when we haven't been getting players on campus, it's you know it's important to look back at those guys who were able to get here, you know, at minimum unofficially, and just kind of see, you know, how the the team interacts with each other, and and, and see that family atmosphere, and, and and see how hard everybody's working. I tell you what, you give, you give me Bryce McGowan's, Matthew Cleveland, uh, James White, Chance Moore. We've already got some bigs on the roster. I, I expect Bolsa would still be here at least one more year. And, and you know, it's hard to even believe, but guys like Anthony Polite and Raekwon Gray still have, you know, two. they have next year, you know, the 2021 season and the 2022 season, right? So um, 
tell you what, you're starting to put together a pretty, pretty big time, uh, long athletic, uh, versatile roster at that point. Um, all right. So let's, let's take a break. Let's take a quick break. I think we're going to come back. We're going to uh, talk. We, we're going to have the David Nichols uh, interview. Uh, he, he, he actually spoke a lot about some of the versatility and, and, you know, kind of this big guards that we're talking about, right. Uh, and kind of big guard you. So uh, when we come back from the break, we'll hear from David uh, and then we'll, you know, and then we'll maybe kind of do some candid responses. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we are uh, we are back, and we are now honored to be joined by former Florida State basketball player David Nichols. Uh, y'all might remember him from uh, he was not on last year's team, but the 2019 team that set a school record for wins and and uh, made it to the Sweet 16. And David was obviously a key uh, a key weapon off the bench for that Leonard Hamilton squad, and uh, he spent most of last year playing in the OPAP league uh, in Cyprus for uh, Team Ammonia, and, uh, and we're excited to have him. David, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Um, just glad to be here. Yeah, believe it or not, you are actually our first former player guest that we've had on, uh, so, so we're excited and, and hope you are. Oh, yeah, it's quite the honor to be the first uh, former player. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, so let's, let's get to it. So I, I just mentioned your, your play in, in, uh, over in the OPAP league in Cyprus. And, and it's not just that you were a player on the team. I mean, folks, uh, David here led the entire league in points per game at 23.8 points per game. And he was also among the leaders for steals and assists. So, uh, you know, representing uh, Florida state well over in Cyprus, uh, David, what, Talk a little bit about just the Euro game itself and kind of what that transition was like from from college. Um, it's different. A uh, little bit faster pace going to that 24-second shot clock they use, uh, kind of just like the NBA. Um, I mean, it wasn't a – it was a big – it was adjustment for me from kind of going back to the role I had my first – uh, at my first school, uh, just being the main scorer, the main uh, shot creator, facilitator, everything. Uh, I kind of took a more of a team role at Florida State. You know how we play. We play 10 players. So roles kind of changed. So just getting, uh, just getting back in that mindset of playing uh, more minutes um, and being a primary decision maker on the court. Yeah, those leagues are kind of kind of cutthroat for Americans, right? I mean, they'll they'll send you home quick if you're not if you're not contributing, right? Uh, yeah, we had uh two or three guys uh, get sent home, so I had a number of different teammates uh, throughout the year. Does that make it hard as a as a point guard or maybe a lead guard if that's the role you were playing um, to 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 kind of establish that kind of continuity on the court? Uh, I mean, yeah. 
it gets difficult, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's your job to produce, and um, you just you just got to produce at the end of the day. And if you don't, you might get sent home. Um, it's very cutthroat in that aspect where they're not taking the time to really develop guys. Well, they're not gonna. Well, they'll develop their local guys, but not really Americans because um, it's mostly one-year deals. So they know you're not gonna come back next year. So they just want production right away. How, how much time are they focusing? I mean, you mentioned the word job. So you're going from, you know, playing in, you know, in the ACC, which, which, which is kind of a job in itself, um, to, to, to playing at a professional level. What, you know, what changes in terms of, uh, you know, how they're trying to develop players or, or, or you know, just, just how is your life changing, you know, going from being an amateur at the college level to being a professional? I mean, Florida State operated – like a pro team. Um, so I honestly, only difference was I didn't have to do schoolwork, really. That's how I felt. Um, and more free time um, off the court, more a little bit more freedom. But, I mean, basketball-wise, uh, it's pretty much uh, the same the way uh, we operated at Florida State and then at the professional level. Yeah, and speaking of free time, I, I'm sure a lot of our list, most of our listeners probably have never been to Cyprus. Uh, what's what's that like? What what did you do in your free time? Uh, I mean, well, it's an island. Um, it's south of Turkey, uh, east of Greece. So it, it's a real touristy place. Um, everybody there speaks English. Uh, everybody goes there for vacation. It has a nice tropical climate. So I mean, there's everything to do. They have nightlife. They've got. I mean, it's it's, it's a fun place to be. What time? What time do Florida State games come on? Oh man, <laughs> I was up till four a.m. Some nights. Yikes! So I mean, you yeah, stayed up before. to watch all the all the this past year's games? All your boys still on the team? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. What? Uh, maybe that's a good good segue back to it. What? What was the – so for those – I think most of our listeners probably know this, but you started off uh, at Albany, and you you were a big-time player for them for three years and then transferred to Florida State uh, as a graduate transfer for your final year. Walk us through kind of what what led you to, you know, choosing Florida State, and, and then maybe we can get into some of, you know, just experiences of your time in Tallahassee. Um, well – the decision to come to Florida State was uh, based in large part about just team success and just how unselfish the guys were and just trying to do something special, trying to trying to get to the Final Four, uh, make deep tournament runs. Um, and it was just about winning at the end of the day. Um, I, I feel like I had accomplished everything individually, um, scored a 1,000 points in a year and a half, after not playing a lot my freshman year, first team all league. So I just felt like there wasn't much more I had to prove um, as an individual player. And I just wanted to go somewhere where I could win and we could do something special. And I mean, we ended up with the most uh, wins in school history. They probably would have broke it this year if they kept playing, but yeah, but we still yeah, got they it. Yeah, they probably would have. <laughs> we still got it. 
How how what how? So I'm looking at your 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 uh, games from back when you're at Albany, and so the your junior year and your sophomore year, it's hard to find a game where you played less than like 32 minutes or something. You're playing, you know, mid 30s almost every game. So how what what are the coaches at Florida State kind of selling you to to come in, you know, knowing that you're only going to play 15 20 minutes a game? How, how you know how do you make that change? Um. Like I said, it was just a, a mindset adjustment. Um, just It was about winning at the end of the day. I understood there were not going to be many games where I was going to play uh, more than 20 minutes, but they told me that up front, so I knew what I was getting myself into um, going into the season, so I, I wasn't surprised um, by the change in minutes and the change in times, but just understanding – it's just understanding their philosophy and the culture and what they're trying to, what they're trying to achieve. And I mean, you can see the results are there on the court. I mean, there's not a lot of places in the country where they there you can convince a five-star player to come in and, and play that uh, kind of a, a team role. How, how is Hamilton uh, and Stan and, and I know, you know, uh, Dennis Gates was there, I think, when you were, but and he's no longer there. But how how is that coaching staff able to do that consistently? I mean, we're talking, you know, guys like Jonathan Isaac, um, this year coming in, Scotty Barnes, last year, um, Pat Williams, and I know guys like MJ Walker were highly rated recruits. You know, how are they able to continue to to find guys like you who are willing to play a team role and not not you know be quote unquote the man um it's just the way that they connect with guys um i mean i think it's all about culture uh it feels like a giant family um you got 18 guys who feel when you're succeeding they feel like they're succeeding um and i think you see that on the court a lot of times you'll see the guy who got the assist celebrated more than the guy who got the bucket or the guy on the bench celebrated more than the guy who scored. Um, it's just that they've built that unique culture that, um, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find it um, anywhere else. And um, just the understanding that they're, they're going to get you where you need to go. If you're supposed to be in the NBA, you're going to go to the NBA. If you're supposed to be playing overseas, you're going to get overseas. Um, and just having that understanding of, but you're going to be where you're supposed to be at the end of the day. Yeah, that's great. So after after the coaches bring you in to that to that you know group that family, how how did you get um, sort of acquainted with FSU? Like be, before practice officially started, you know how much did you get to play with the guys during the summer and that sort of thing? Uh, we had a lot of lot of time uh, with summer workouts. Um, I know most schools do uh, individual workouts in the summer, but we had all team workouts. Um, and then, of course, we had um, other individual stuff on our own if we wanted to come in and get extra work in. But all the mandatory time was team was team based, and that was different from my uh, first school. Hmm. And it was was defense the the first focus of those team meeting? I mean, just trying to try to grasp the principles of kind of Hamilton's you know famed defense. Uh, actually, it, we spent a lot of time on offense to begin with because when I was there, it was the second year of the new offense mm-hmm. that Ham put in. Um, I don't know if it's hard to notice when you're watching, but that was. 
the second year that they had this offense. And then this past year was only the third year. So we had to spend a lot of time on that, especially me being a point guard. Um, I think they kind of catered to me with that, doing a lot of um, offensive stuff. And then it was a it was a senior-led team. It was a veteran team. So they kind of knew what, what, what they were going to get from us. So it, it wasn't too too much harping on the, the details. Um, a guy like me is like coming in a freshman again, so I probably got a little bit of extra attention to details on the defensive end and the offensive end. But it wasn't it wasn't too defensive uh, defensively heavy to begin with. Huh. So if we went back to those those earlier teams before you know the offense that you're talking about, like, what, what are we what are we going to see different? You know that that ham sort of changed the year before you got there. Um, well, I think the difference was – well, it kind of started with Jonathan Isaac with letting one, the one through five can initiate the offense and bring it up and just really emphasizing positionless basketball. Anybody can initiate the offense uh, and just getting up and down more. I mean, they always got up and down, but it just emphasizing getting up and down even more. Um, anybody can lead the break. I mean, you saw that this year. Pat will bring it up. Uh, Raquan Gray. Just whoever gets the ball is, is going to bring it up outside of probably Olajak and Balsa this past year. It, and I know – I don't want you to speak for a guy like Terrence Mann. Um, hey, Terrence, if you're listening, maybe, maybe we can have you on the show and you can speak for yourself. But for, for someone if, – if you talk to the guys on the team who had been there three or four years, did they seem to, uh, I guess – enjoy or maybe thrive more in the in the offense that coach Hamilton and and staff switched to a couple years back um I mean we didn't talk too much about it um at the end of the day we have a lot of freedom and there's a lot of ball screens a lot of pick and rolls a lot of creation so I'm not sure how much of a difference it was um from the offense two or three years before um, cause Ham's offense has always been free flowing, uh, sure. a, a lot of stuff in the pick and rolls and just basically making, it's just basically putting you in a position where you got to make the, the right read. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't want us to be robots and he's never operated like that. So I'm sure it wasn't too much of a, a difference. Yeah. How much, do, how much does the team talk about those reads? Like, you know, after a game or, you know, in the days between games, like you, you maybe thought that the team should have done this and they did that. Is, that. is that a discussion that the players are having or is that mostly coming from the coaches? Um, it's mostly coming from the coaches. We'll, we'll prepare two or three days before about how teams are going to guard the pick and roll because that's how we get most of our offense after transition is out of the pick and roll. So if teams were higher hedging, we'd have counters for it. Um, if they were doubling ball screens, we have counters for it. If they're going under certain guys, we had counters for it. So, I mean, a ball screen's a pretty simple play, but there's a million different ways to attack it, and there's a million different ways to defend it. Yeah, that's good stuff. So for some of the fans uh, listening to this that maybe follow football a bit more closely to basketball, it sounds like, you know, it's a, it's a quarterback getting to the line and, and, you know, looking at the way the defense is playing, perhaps the way they're lined up and, and then making an adjustment to the route that's called, that, that sounds to me like what you're describing with the ball screen is, is however the defense plays that ball screen, then making an adjustment to where the ball is supposed to go. Yeah, it's basically like a re-option if you think about it like that. Um, 
if the linebacker is gonna gonna stay with the uh, with the running back, then the quarterback is gonna keep it. Um, kind of that sort of thing when you're just going through your progressions and your breakdowns. So it, it, that's a good um, that's a good thing to compare it to. Yeah, yeah. Now there was one game that I got to ask you about where you, you know we've talked about how uh, you were brought in to be more of a team player and and um, you know, make these right reads, get the ball into the spots uh, for guys like Man and, and Fee. But that that ACC tourney game against UVA, um, I feel like we saw Florida State fans got a chance to see a little bit of of the David Nichols who can take over a game. And and man, I mean, poor Kihei Clark there as a freshman. I don't know. You just you just backed him down all game long. Talk talk to us a little bit about that uh, that game. I mean, did you know going into it that they were going to call your number? Um, I mean, that's the thing about playing there. Uh, you never know when it's going to be your night. It's going to be a different guy every night. I don't know how many different leading scores we had, but it had to be nine or ten. So, I mean, it's just, it's just it was just the flow of the game, that game. Uh, and, I mean, I had a mismatch, and I just kept taking advantage of it. Um, I mean, I, I feel like it's just as simple as that. Um, there were times where I broke off a couple plays, um, and just th- those are those are the kind of plays where if you break it off, you have to score. You're going to be in trouble. And, um, <laughs> I'm, sure, I, I'm sure Bacon uh, got some looks from coaches a few times about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, every time I broke the playoff, uh, something good happened. And um, yeah, it was kind of back to my Albany days where. Uh, I had that freedom. Not saying that I didn't have that freedom at Florida State. It was just – it's just one of those times where where you just – it was just basketball instincts, really. Yeah, that, that, that was fun to watch. And I, I, I still have that game on tape and go back and watch it, you know, every four or five months or something. But – so I, I don't want to bring up a bad topic, but a few weeks later you guys went to the NCAA tournament you got hurt. I think that was the Vermont game that you got hurt. And then we had the situation with Phil. Like, how was the mindset of the team going into that tournament? And then, you know, how did, how did you guys deal with, with how it just, you know, kind of suddenly came to an end in a bad way? Um, I mean, we had a great mindset going in. Uh, we felt that we were going to win it all. Um, I mean, we never gave up. And it started with the Virginia Tech game down three there at the free throw line. I don't know how many seconds left. And we just never felt like we were going to lose, as crazy as that sounds. Um, That's the one where man so, hit the uh, kind of the Kawhi Leonard-esque runner, right, from the corner? Yeah, but yeah. even before that, Devin Vassell hit a ridiculous three from the corner to send it into overtime. He did. He did. Hand and face. More, more, yeah, a, a lot of people forget about that. That shot was – it was incredibly tough. And it was that, – that was the biggest shot of the tournament for us. By a freshman, no less, at the time. And I know I, maybe we can get into Devin in a second here, going to the NBA. But so back to the tournament, though, was that? I mean, I don't know. Is it? I guess though, it would be even worse this year for the guys not knowing. I'm sure they felt like they were going to make the Final Four this year too. I, I mean, it. Can you even imagine the what that mean? You know, if if it had ended, uh, let's say the season ended after your all's win against Virginia and you didn't get that chance? No, that that would honestly probably be worse. Um, at the Virginia game, 
we're just that was we we kind of peaked um in the Virginia game. That was the last game. Everyone was together. Everyone was somewhat healthy. Trent was fighting through injury, of course. Uh, MJ as well. Phil wasn't a hundred percent, but that was the last time where we had our full team, and we beat the eventual national champs by double digits. Um, on a neutral I mean, court. <laughs> on a neutral court, exactly. So we just we when we talk about it, we just talk about like imagine if we had that full team throughout the NCAA tournament, and we think we have a great chance to get to a Final Four. Yeah, so, so with that full team in mind, maybe you can, maybe you can settle a debate between Matt and I. I won't tell you who who takes which team, but one of us thinks that your team was the best team the Florida State has had, and one of us thinks that this year's team was the best team the Florida State has had. So, if you guys were healthy and you played this year's team, who's who's, who's going to win? I, I say we win. All right. The basis of my argument is that is Devin Vassell. As talented and as good as he is, the fact that he played so so many so limited minutes just shows how deep and how how good uh, our team was. That's a that's an interesting take. Yeah, that's definitely. I, that is definitely a, a mm-hmm. good take. And, and so you bring up Devin. How good and talented is he? I mean, people are talking about him now. I mean, we're talking about a guy that really wasn't even, like, ranked at a high school. Uh, maybe a three-star at the end there or something. I think Florida State was really only his high major offer, maybe one other. Um, and, and a couple years later, people are talking about him as a lottery pick. How good and talented is he? Um. He's extremely good, extremely talented, and he's probably just touching the surface. Um, I think we knew how good Devin was maybe two or three weeks um, into the summer. Um, We just got done playing pickup, and I was talking to Terrence. Um, Me and Terrence got uh, pretty close pretty quick, and we just – Devin just hit a game winner uh, for pickup to end uh, end the day. We probably play for an hour, hour and a half every time we play pickup. And me and T just looked at each other and we're like, has Devin missed a shot in three weeks? <laughs> and like and it wasn't on a, it wasn't being sarcastic, it was being it was being dead serious. And we couldn't we couldn't think of him missing a shot in three weeks of pickup as a freshman coming in with five seniors feet, eventual first round pick, just he, he's ridiculous. Yeah. he His length, it seems like his arms just kind of go on for days, too. And you're right about um, – I mean, he, he's a very efficient basketball player, which – and coming from you, who also won a few awards, weekly awards this year in, in the Cypress League uh, for your efficiency, uh, that, is, that is high praise for sure, coming from a professional basketball player. You mentioned watching FSU this year. Did you get a chance to to kind of scout Pat Williams or or talk to any of the guys about about him him as a basketball player? I know you didn't play with him, but just kind of what he brings to the table. Oh no, I play with Pat because I was finishing up my uh, finishing up an internship after I graduated down in Tallahassee. Okay, so I was there. I was pretty like I, I'm pretty familiar with everyone on this year's team. I spent a lot of time with those guys the summer after the season. So I've seen Pat play. 
play pickup with them. Um, so I know I know all of the, their games pretty pretty well. How big are Pat's hands? Oh, they're huge. They call him Baby Kawhi. Yeah. Just because of his mannerisms and just his approach to the game. Oh, I mean, you've seen it. I mean, when he had the dunk on the uh, the guy from Tennessee, you would have thought he was just going for a walk in the park. Like, you couldn't even tell. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually there too. It was a pretty small stadium. I mean, it, it, like kind of a you know JUCO. I guess it is a JUCO stadium, but that place erupted. I think Tennessee and Florida State fans uh, appreciated that one. Yeah, that that and Trent Forrest dunk on on Aurora. Uh, they're 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 up there. They're closer than people think. It's just the atmosphere of the Louisville game was was much better. But if you go back and watch that dunk, Pat had is is pretty close. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be on the other end of either of those two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so changing gears just a little bit here though, David, you had a um you had a tweet maybe uh two weeks ago, late May, uh when when a lot of the um the current landscape in America started uh, shifting a bit, and and it was about the emotional intelligence. You were gr- you were thankful uh, that you had chose Florida State because of the lessons on emotional intelligence that that the coaching staff had imparted on you, and and uh, you you kind of shouted out the whole coaching coaching staff. Um, can you talk a little bit just about? Um, you know, what, what do you even mean by emotional intelligence and some of those and, and how some of those lessons are, are, you know, paying off for you today? I mean, to me, it was just knowing how to react and, and when to react in situations, knowing when to say something, when not to say something. There's a lot of smart people in the world who get in trouble because they can't control their emotions. Um, and I think Coach Ham is just the perfect just figure of that. If you just look into his history and what he's had to deal with getting to where he is today, um, he's uh, he's broke color barriers at so many places uh, that he's been to as a player and as a coach. And um, just when you hear the stories he has to tell about what he went through and how he had to turn the other cheeks so many times because he knew at the end of the day uh, he would be the one that's going to basically win from the situation, and just having the emotional intelligence not to not to react um, to getting called racial slurs, um, getting cursed at, getting hit with stuff, people throwing stuff at him, uh, just just for being black and just being in the positions that he was in. So I mean, I think he's the prime example of someone who has just supreme emotional intelligence. And I mean, like I said, that's just something that's gonna carry that will carry anybody through life. If you, uh, Coach Gates and Coach C.Y., Coach Jones, they're all horrible on that as well in in different ways and different aspects. Um, so I mean, I think that that's just really important to me uh, on the court and off the court. Yeah, I I appreciate that. I don't know if I could. <laughs> say it any better myself I was originally thinking maybe have a follow-up question but that um I I think you hit the nail on the head there and and I I consider myself fortunate I I was you don't know this about me I've been born and raised in Tallahassee seen a lot of uh Florida State games over the years and and through this role had an opportunity to engage with coach Hamilton 
um, a number of times over the last, you know, five, six years. And, and you're exactly right. He is, he is a man who, you know, walks the walk and, and talks the talk when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, so I appreciate you sharing, sharing the thoughts there. Yeah, for sure. Definitely practices, uh, what he preaches, um, for sure. Uh, ultimate team guy, so unselfish. And I mean, the players just take on, just take on his characteristics and his roles. Um, he's not a dictator by any means. Um, if one of the assistants has an idea or something that they think that we should do, he's he's open. He's open. Uh, open ears, just to everything. And I mean, that's a, that's that's uh, another thing I don't think you see from top. Some of the top coaches, uh, they just have egos, and Coach M has literally none at all. Um, just like I said, ultimate team guy, ultimate winner, and the characters take on – I mean, the players take on those character traits from him. Awesome stuff, man. Michael, you want to uh, – I think you had a question for him about uh, <laughs> his clothing line and next steps. Yeah, you, you mentioned – when off the air that that your 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 time in Greece was probably one season do you do you know what you're going to be doing next um well my, my agent is talking to multiple different teams um just gauging interest levels uh a lot of the leagues overseas are waiting to see what the NBA does and how they handle things before they move forward i know in germany and israel they actually continued their leagues so even before the NBA, so they're finishing up over there. So, I mean, it may be a couple of weeks before I know my next uh, destination. So it's pretty much a waiting game right now just to see when leagues are going to start, um, when their budgets are going to get set, and then teams are going to start signing people left and right. Yeah, it's got to be a strange time for you, you know, to be just starting your professional career and then have all this – have all this stuff happen you're overseas it's it's you know tough time so if for the for the folks out there listening i know that you occasionally you occasionally send out tweets about uh, big guard you so, so how you know how, how can they find that online um well if they follow me on instagram uh it's linked directly to my main page um or if they type in pro scores club on instagram uh you can find that and yeah i mean Big RU, that kind of started uh, throughout the season. Uh, just everybody was saying it. Um, I know me and Trent would say it a lot uh, just because he would post up smaller guards. And then I started to post up some um, some of the guards starting the Miami game uh, with Chris Likes. And then, of course, the Virginia <laughs> game where it really took off. So, I mean, and, and the fact that everyone – pushes the ball one through four. Like, we truly have big guards. Terrence Mann, Phil Kofer had guard skills. Jonathan Isaac, the, the original big guard. Um, it's just guys like that. So, I mean, I think it just it just fit perfectly um, as a brand just to represent the school and then just basketball players in general and the way the game has shifted. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I can take it back. Uh, I don't. I don't even know when. It, it might be before you were born, man. But uh, George McLeod, I feel like he might be be one of the the original big guard. Uh, use like six eight launching threes back in the late eighties uh, and, and getting sure. 
FSU to back to the NCAA tournament way back then. But no, I love it. And with, with Scotty Barnes uh, coming in this year, it's, it's just another, and, and Bryce McGowan's is already signed. And those are two more big guards. And, and I mean, I, that was probably one of my favorite things was, was watching you back down uh, Clark against UVA. And then all this year, seeing Trent just take, take people right to the hole. So. Yeah, I think it definitely fits for sure. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we appreciate your time, sir. And we will of course be uh, following your, your continuing professional career and, and hope that uh, you, you can, you see uh, great success in the future. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. All right. So, you know, David, at the end of that, uh, at the end of when we were talking with David there, he, he talked about uh, Pat Williams, Devin Vassell, uh, two guys who, I, I don't know. I don't know that either one thought that folks thought that they uh, maybe were going to be this highly thought of this early in their careers by NBA scouts. But when you hear David talk about them, it doesn't, I guess it shouldn't be surprising at all. Right. Yeah. I, th I think that, you know, one thing that the, the uh, evaluators are missing is these guys playing against real college competition. Like they're obviously they play against players who are going to be in college, but not a, not a college team, a college system. And so the, you know, Nichols, who, who played for four years in, in college, gets to see these guys competing, you know, within that system. And, and, I, and so I, th I think it's, it's a little easier, uh, you know, once, once they're playing in college to kind of evaluate where they're going to be at the next level. From high school to college, I mean, high school to, to pros, you're, you're talking about two levels, and it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tougher evaluation. So I, d I don't want to say that the – the scouts kind of missed on on Patrick Williams by having him at the very end of the the list of five stars. Uh, they certainly missed on Devin, you know. <laughs> but we'll give him a little bit of credit on on Patrick. But but you're right; nobody really saw them. Um, you know, being you know Devin, I guess is probably going to be a lottery pick. Patrick might be a lottery pick, you know, and it, and it came about really quickly. What did you think about David's response uh, to to the twenty? What is it? Nineteen team that Devin coming off the bench, or not even coming off the bench. Devin really playing what ten, twelve minutes a game on the twenty nineteen team is kind of the indicator that you would need to know of of which team versus twenty nineteen or twenty twenty was the better team. Well, that team had a lot of a lot of seniors on it. I think mean, I think they had what five five seniors. Uh, plus Fiondu, who was third year in the system, you know, uh, I, I expected David to say that 2019 was the better team because you want to, you want to have confidence in yourself. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it, but also I, I did not see his answer, uh, revolving around the fact that Devin Vassell was sitting on the bench. And I thought that was a, a, a pretty interesting take. Um, I assumed he was going to say something about, you know, Phil not being healthy and then the terrible things that happened at the end of the season. And, you know, even David Nichols not being healthy at the end of the year. Trent not being healthy for most of the season. Yeah. Trent played with a, you know, torn ligament in his foot. And, and I, I assumed that he would say something like that, but I, I think, I think it's an, an interesting point that, that Vassell, you know, kind of didn't play very much. And as fans, we were really excited, 
you know, when he did play because he, he was very uh, uh, efficient and, 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 and fun to watch. But the coaches, you know, they just trusted the other, the other guys a, a lot more. And, you know, David kind of picked up on that and, and highlighted that. And, and I thought that was a really good take. Yeah, I, you know, I've probably been a guy that's been more, I have been more on the 2020 team train was better. And, and part of my rationale there has been Devin, Devin being a year older, Devin uh, kind of taking into that, you know, that next step in his game. I also think that uh, MJ, you know, we talked a lot about the, the, the leap that MJ took from his sophomore year to his junior year was pretty significant. Uh, both in terms of his efficiency and in terms of just like him stepping into the moment uh, like, like maybe the Notre Dame game and just, just really taking over at times. But, you know, David's David played with those guys and he, 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 you heard him talk about him and Terrence knew Devin was for real in the summer. And, and, you know, that it became obvious really quickly that Devin was not going to redshirt, even though that that had been maybe talked about in the beginning um, and so I, I, it is an interesting take I, and a valid take. I think that, Hey, he didn't get on the court as much because we had an NBA first rounder with Fiondu and we had a guy who was a second rounder, but is already on a guaranteed contract with Terrence man plan. And we had a, a three point snipe shooter with PJ out on the court. And, you know, we had Phil Kofer capable of defending multiple positions and knocking it in from outside. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think maybe I, I'm, maybe I'm reconsidering my position <laughs> yeah I, I, I go back and forth depending on which team I'm looking at that's the best one but I, I kind of wish that we would have asked him about Raekwon Evans um, you know here's a guy who basically played the same amount of minutes that Vassell played when he was a freshman and Raekwon Evans is not Devin Vassell so don't don't you know think that I'm trying to say that but you know maybe Raekwon Evans is that guy who really makes a big step forward next year you know, when he's going to be one of the most experienced guys on, on the team, he's, he's, he's that grad, you know, he, he wasn't a grad transfer, but he's, he's kind of like that, you know, grad transfer yeah. role. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, that's one topic I, I think we, you know, maybe we'll, we'll get somebody else to talk about is, is who from this year's team, you know, is really going to make that big step up next year. And I, I think that Evans is, is a pretty likely candidate. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think you might be, might be right. I, the Devin, it's interesting the way he talked about Devin. I, I don't know if you've been following the best, uh, the best player uh, bracket that we've been doing on Tomahawk Nation. Uh, I think we're. It looks like the final, final four article hasn't been written yet, but the final four seems to be set. We've got uh, Bob Sura, Tony Douglas, Sam Cassell, and and uh, Dave Cowens, all in pretty comfortable margins. Um, you know, Trent, Terrence, those guys were in the bracket. They didn't make it uh, past, I think, the Sweet 16. And, and part of that goes back to what you're talking about, what David talked about. You've got guys here that, are, that know they're coming now to play under Hamilton in a system where um, they, they're going to split time. They're going to you know, not necessarily be the star. If, if Devin plays one more year, do you think he's in that conversation of, of maybe the Elite Eight on this bas- best basketball bracket or, or um, further? Or – or are those four guys in your mind pretty, pretty well set? It would be tr- tough to to unseat one of those guys simply because of the lack of counting stats for Devin. You know, he's not playing a ton of minutes, so he's so he's not going to score a bunch of points. He's not going to grab all those rebounds, and you know, since and so the the guys on that list probably had a you know a little better opportunity to to, to do that. 
Um, Dave Cowens obviously is, you know, he's, I'd be kind of shocked if he doesn't win this thing. Uh, Bob Sura was, was the ultimate counting stat guy. I was going like to say, was, talk about high volume. <laughs> yeah. Guy. High volume, low efficiency. Um, but the thing that he had going for him was when he was a sophomore, he was playing with three NBA guys and he, and he was the best player on the court. Uh, and, so, and so, you know, you know, Devin is, is he, could he belong in the top four if he, if he's, if he stayed another year? Absolutely. But just the way voting works, I, I kind of think that he would get, you know, shaved off in that elite eight, eight round. Yeah. I, I you know, it would have been interesting to see if, if a final four or, or dare I even speak it, a national championship. Now you've put that on the board that might uh, change the, change the numbers a bit for someone like a Trent Forrest too. But you talk about Bob playing with three other NBA guys, you know, we're looking back at this 2019 team now and it's possible that they're going to have. Um, so we know two guys are already in the NBA. Um, I don't, you know, Vassell's well on his way to joining. We could get, we could spend a couple minutes here, there, just in a second. But you know, I don't put it past uh, a Trent Forrest or, and now even an MJ Walker. If he, if he makes another leap in his three-point shooting, I don't put it past one of those guys eventually having a cup of coffee in the league. Well, four players maybe from that 2019 team in the NBA. Yeah, and, and Bud Elliott does that blue chip ratio thing for football. You've got to have 50 percent of your recruits have to be blue chips in order to actually have a chance to win the national title. Right. And the the college basketball version is you have to have at least two first round draft picks on the on the, on the team um, to be considered for a national title. And and you know Florida State's there. They've 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 gotten to that point in the. Uh, in the in their in their development and their recruiting, where nobody's is going to be that surprised if, if Florida State wins the national title. It's obviously a shame we didn't get a chance to play for it this year because that team could have won it. But um, you know, it, it's they're they're not going to be a favorite. But this is a team that has that has the chance pretty much year in year out right now um, to make that run in March and 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 you know cut down the nets. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you follow the, uh, there was some news on the NBA draft too, uh, Michael, that typically it would already be in, I think June, but because of COVID and everything, and now the NBA is going to do their kind of shortened bubble season there down there in Orlando. Um, that I think the NBA lottery selection, like the lottery, uh, picking of the order that they're in is going to be August 25th. And, and the draft itself is going to be tentatively set for mid October, October 15th, I think. You follow any of that stuff? Yeah, for as big of a basketball fan, I, I, I really turn off at at you know once the tournament's over, um, I then I'm all back into recruiting. I I don't really follow the NBA, so maybe maybe I'll I'll flip the the script here a little bit and ask you a couple questions. So first of all, just just lay out that timeline. You you mentioned the, the lottery. So so what are Devin and, and and Pat Williams looking at right now? So I. The lottery, the picking of the team, the order of the teams in August will probably be more relevant for Devin than it will be for Pat. That is not to suggest that Pat can't sneak into the back end of that lottery. And for folks who aren't familiar, the lottery uh, simply is the 14 playoff teams who don't, or the 14 NBA teams who don't make the playoffs. Um, instead of the NFL where it just it goes by record, uh, those teams are given weighted odds of being selected, uh, you know, to have the first pick, second pick, and so on, uh, so that it doesn't just blatantly incentivize tanking. Teams still tank and, and do it quite well, but um, they, they, it is possible to finish with, let's say, the fourth best record or the fourth worst record in the NBA and 
still get the first uh, pick. So Devin, Devin will probably be interested in, in the selection and in, in the order of those teams. Um, Pat, maybe, but he, Devin for sure. And, and I say that because Devin is anywhere between, let's say, sixth and, I don't know, 13th on most of the mock drafts. And, and in my personal uh, kind of scouting and mock, mock drafts uh, of, of the guys here, I, I probably would – I don't think he's the type of high-ceiling player that the NBA covets that is worthy of a top five or a six pick. However, in a year where you don't have a lot of scouting and you don't get a lot of interactions with these players – he might have the highest floor in the entire draft. He's a three and D wing who can guard multiple positions. And unlike a guy like Isaac Okoro coming out of Auburn, um, he, he actually already can make threes and be a three and D guy. He, he is, he is about as plug and play as it gets. He has NBA range. He has NBA length uh, and he has NBA kind of team basketball team defense awareness. Um, so I, I think, you know, if you get a team like, maybe a, a golden state or, or a San Antonio or even like a Portland or something that ends up picking in that seven, eight, nine slot. I, I think he, that the high floor value of Devin Vassell makes him tailor made to go, to go somewhere between let's say six and 10. So Florida state's had three top 10 picks in, in history. I think Cowens, George McLeod, John Isaac. Yeah. Um, so putting you on the spot is, is Vassell going to be the fourth? I would love to revisit this question in August when we know the order of the top 10, uh, because there's, there are some teams uh, that like the Hawks, maybe they, they, they're not looking for a high floor guy. They're looking for a high ceiling guy that is, you know, maybe like a uh, Anthony Edwards or a James Wiseman that can, you know, potentially be like a, you know, an NBA first, first team, all NBA type of guy, which I, I don't know that Devin quite has that ceiling, but, um, so can I put a tentative? Yes, but let's revisit it when the, when the order is decided. Yeah, that's fair to punt. I mean, you gotta, you kind of got to see who the teams are and, and yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, the other, the other question would be, it was 93. I want to say when, when Sam Cassell and Doug Edwards were both drafted in the first round. And as, uh, that's the only time Florida State's had two guys drafted in the first round of the draft. Um, so, uh, with Patrick Williams, I'm, I, you know, I don't follow the draft. I'm just kind of assuming he's first round pick, but is this going to be the second time in history that Florida State's had two first round picks? It will. I won't punt on that. He, he will, he technically could still come back to Florida State. I think he's followed all the protocols of, of making himself in a position to where if he wanted to, he, he could, I don't count on it. <laughs> um, but, uh, he, I think that, he will not only be drafted in the first round, I think he'll be drafted probably in the top 20 to 22 picks. Um, he, he is a guy that it's sort of the opposite of Devin. He is not plug and play. Uh, he, he, his shot is still a work in progress. You can see at the free throw line, he's got great form on the shot. It kind of breaks down as he gets further away. Although it's pretty decent off the bounce actually, as he's kind of better when he's um, a little bit more of a you know, dribble, one, you know, one, one dribble pull up. But um, it, it, the sheer, you know, Devin or David Nichols mentioned the size of his hands. I think that he called him baby Kawhi. The, the, she, the ceiling that Patrick Williams possesses as, as, a, as a guy who can defend probably the four and the three in the NBA, he might not have the lateral quickness like Devin to defend the two, but he can defend the four and the three. 
He is explosive. He is a high IQ player. You know, you see the pass that he makes like at the end of the first half against Louisville, uh, where he zips it to polite in the corner, just right on the money. Um, he, he is a multifaceted guy who has an NBA body and get this. He's the youngest American in the draft. The guy's still 18 years old. Uh, his hands are enormous. His, his legs are enormous. He's physically mature. His head gets to the rim when he dunks. He can, you know, he can score at all three levels and, and he's a difference maker on defense. So honestly, if I, if I were running an NBA team, if I didn't have the chance to maybe make the Eastern or Western conference finals next season, I might take Pat over Devin, but I would imagine that when it shakes out, he goes probably five or seven spots behind uh, Devin. And, and if, if he goes to a, a team like maybe the Celtics or uh, even, even someone like the Lakers or the Heat, where he can develop for a couple years and, and then become what I think he could become, that's going to be – a team's going to be very happy that they took him mid to late first round. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great little – bit of information in the age thing is uh you know i think i think vassell is what 19 he might be 20 by the time the draft happens but you know he's, he's vassell is relatively young for his class he's definitely mm. on the younger side for his class and patrick is even younger for his class uh so yeah both those uh-huh. guys have have their best basketball in front of them so isaac and, Be- and beasley were both drafted when they were 19 and they seem pretty cemented into the the nba um fiondu was a little bit older uh you know terrence mann was a little older Dwayne bacon was a little older they 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 seem uh you know maybe i'm wrong but they're kind of you know those those tweener guys who are you know could could spend some time in the in the d league could spend some time on the on the NBA roster where do you see Vassell and Patrick Williams next year like are they are they drafted and then locked into the NBA or are they, are they going to be spending some time in the D League I, I think Patrick could maybe spend some time in the G League because that's just a great training ground uh, and there's nothing wrong with that we, we see guys all the time go in and, and I mean they, they've created it now where you can have these two-way contracts where you play uh, in, in the main NBA team for a couple couple of games and then you go back down and work on a facet of your game uh, in the G League so I think Patrick could probably bounce back and forth I, I really think that depending on the team that Devin goes to uh, if, if he could be a I don't want to say sixth man but he could be that like a second unit key player for a playoff contending team because his floor is so high so I, I would imagine that Devin um it play pretty much spends his year in the NBA and, and maybe even has a few games where, you know, they're doing some load management with a couple starters and, and he gets some token starts and, and they, they see how he can, what, what he can do. Well, all right. So, so my, my time as a listener of, of the pod is up. I've, I've, I've gotten my lesson in the NBA draft. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And so, yeah, we'll, so we'll, I, we'll come back to that uh, when it gets time to August and October. Uh, I, I think for sure, yeah. a lot more will be known, but it was great. It was great. Ne- uh, ne- next time I'm going to call it the G league rather than the D league. And I'm really going to show <laughs> off my, my knowledge. <laughs> All that means is Gatorade bought it, right? Gatorade's <laughs> getting on this name and image and likeness. So um we, I had good time catching up with you, buddy, and it was great, uh, great talking to David. So we'll, we'll do that again.
All right. Take care.